If you need a new roof or a repair, Easton Roofing will take care of you. Estimates are always free and suggestions are built on integrity. Visit EastonRoofing.com for more information. Get back to business faster with Easton Roofing. Easton Roofing. Integrity matters. Welcome back to the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810 WHP. Jake, you have to crank me up. This is all I got. That's all the juice I got left. It's Nate's fault. Nate's enjoying a donut. Does that, does that take care of your sweet tooth? For now. There we go. We have, uh, thanks to Stan Weber for being in studio. Guys and now it's our, uh, it's been a while, it's our Border Patrol fast break. As Gabe DeArmond has been itching to talk some college basketball, so finally we get to scratch it. Gabe DeArmond from PowerMizzou.com. Hello, Gabe. How are you? I'm good, guys. What's going on? So, uh, so Mizzou didn't play at all this week. How about that? Yeah, it's a good week. Can't, uh, can't can't lose if you can't play, if you don't play, right? Need it. We did need it. I know it. Uh, obviously, um, everything was overshadowed by the terrible events at the uh, at the parade. But but rewinding at least because we tried to to get back to talking sports. Rewinding to Sunday, you being a lifelong Chiefs fan, uh, how was that to watch uh, the Chiefs win back to back? That was something, wasn't it? That was the best one uh, so far. I, I didn't think it would be. I wasn't even all that. Like, it It just seemed like kind of another game. But then the way it happened, because uh, the only game I went to this year was the Christmas Day game. And oh, no. That was, uh, I did not walk out of Arrowhead that day feeling excellent about the chances. Uh, but then, hey, worked out. So... Mizzou is 0-11 in the SEC, and now... Yeah, also don't feel excellent about the chances there. Right. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little sneak preview. They are not going to win the Super Bowl later on. Uh, <laughs> we're just looking for them to win a game in conference at Ole Miss. And so I was looking last night why I'm spending time doing this. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, just, hey, true professional. Trying to figure out, okay, where... Where is the wind coming from? And I just, you know, I, 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 I feel like I should just eliminate any road game. And so they play at Ole Miss. They play at Arkansas, at Florida, at LSU. And then the home games, home against Tennessee, no. Home against Auburn, no. Uh, but they do play home against Ole Miss. So they got a, a, a home and home with Ole Miss. So maybe somehow they can they can grab one there. But I guess the question is, since it's so possible right now, how devastating for this program would it be if they went winless in conference play? And what would that do to, and this is crazy to say this, considering how great last year was, what would that do to the job security of Dennis Gates if they went over in conference play? Yeah, I mean, it, there's no circumstance in which he is, you know, it, it, he's gone after this year, just to be clear. Uh, zero chance. Um, but look, if he goes 0-18, um, I, I mean, this season has burned almost all of the goodwill he built up last year. There's there's no question because this team isn't talented. They, they're missing a lot of things. They've had some injuries. But winless in conference play, is that is really tough to do. I went back and looked the other day. Um, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it, of, of coaches who have gone winless in a power conference in the last 20 years, 
not one of those coaches has ever then gone on to make an NCAA tournament at that same school. Oh, uh, now, it's not in the transfer portal era, right? The good thing about this is, hey, if you went from 25 wins to eight or whatever this is going to be, you can go from eight to 25. I mean, Iowa State did it a couple years ago. Now, granted, new coach. South Carolina's doing it this year. Uh, you know, they're 21 and four or something like that. And they were really bad last year. So it is possible if you make the right moves and get the right pieces. Um, but even if you can just find one, like, look, is there really a big difference between one and 17 and 0 and 18? No, but also yes. Um, there have been some program, you know, Indiana's gone one and 17 of the Big Ten twice in the last, like, 10 or 12 years. But nobody remembers that. You go 0 and 18. Everybody remembers that. So what what are the realistic possibilities that this team does make a big turnaround next year? I know you've talked about some of the guys they got coming in. Well, the problem is, I mean, yeah, they've got a top five recruiting class coming in. They've got five freshmen. Honor Boateng is ranked number 21 in the country, so like you would expect him to come in and start. But that's kind of the the area where you start to get into you know is that a guy is that like a one and done guy is that a guy that comes in and can like lead you in scoring as a true freshman I'm, it's not impossible because like Kentucky a couple of their lower rated freshmen are having great years so it, it's possible but you can't be counting on the freshman class to come in and lead the way to that kind of revival like it's a, it's a good class it's a really good class but I don't think you're looking at this as, as like, you know, Fab Five come in and, and four of them are starting in, in week two of the season or anything like that. So they're going to have to go in the transfer portal and I believe find a minimum of two starters. Um, now, to do that, there's some roster gymnastics that have to happen. I mean, there are some guys that can come back that have to not come back. But we all know that's likely to happen. Uh, and... You know, it's going to be real interesting to see what Gates does because, like, John Tanjay is redshirting. At this point, I expect Caleb Grill to not play in redshirt. But then you start to get into the question of how many guys do you want to bring back off a team that, you know, was 2-16, and 1-17, 0-18 in the SEC. I mean, I, I don't know how much of that roster you want to return next year. So it, it'll be really interesting to see what he does. But they've got to hit the portal without question. Not for not for five or six guys, but I think they've got to take a minimum of three and two of them have to start. I know this is a loaded question, but if somebody asked you, okay, so what, what's what's the main thing that went wrong for, for Dennis Gates this year? Why? And then, look, a step back after losing – Kobe Brown, and a step back after losing Demoy Hodge—that's understandable. But this isn't, and so yeah. what, what, what's what's the main thing or things that led to this absolute debacle of a season? Well, it's a combination of things. It's—I it, I think number one was they counted on Nick Honor and Noah Carter to take jumps that haven't been taken. Those guys were really good third and fourth options on an NCAA tournament team last year. And I think we're kind of finding out that's what they are. They're really good third and fourth options. They, they can't be first and second options or second and third options. Second, they missed in the portal on some guys. Uh, I, I mean, 
you know, Connor Vanover, Jesus Carolero, these are guys that honestly when they were taken, a lot of people had questions, and, and that's been validated to have those questions. Then there have been injuries, you know, I, and I think the one thing that everybody is in their anger just dismissing is just momentum and confidence. I, I mean, if this team wins, you know, they led Georgia with about six minutes left in the SEC opener. Two games later, they led South Carolina the entire second half. If you win one of those, like then you're not getting seven games into the season with this, oh, my God, could they go 0-18. If you win two of them, you know, you're actually sitting 2-1. and one. And I'm not saying this is a tournament team or anything like that. I, I'm not stupid, but we're talking about a team that, you know, like 5-13, and 6-12. and 12. It, It's not good, but – Nobody's this angry. Nobody's talking about Dennis Gates should be on the hot seat next year. Any of that. I, I just think last year's team was 13 and three in games decided by less than 10 points. Like they, they believed they were going to win. And is there luck involved? Is Dre Golston hitting two half court shots luck? Yeah. But also that team would be down eight points with four minutes left and they thought they were going to win the game. This team, you can see it in games. You can almost identify the play where you go, that's the one. That's going to kill them. You know, like I called the Mississippi State game when it was 16-10. I just said, there's the run. They're they're done. And they never got any closer than that. Um, So I I think it's a team that – and they're saying the right things. I asked Noah Carter this after the the Vanderbilt game. I, I said, do you start to get a feeling of here we go again? And he said no, but how could they not? You know, I, I mean, every game's kind of the same. So when the other team hits that inevitable eight nothing run, you know they have to be sitting there going, "Well, it's happening again." Gabe Dearman from PowerMizzou.com. Thank you so much for the time, man. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Have a good one. That's uh, Gabe Dearman. Now we'll move on to talk K State with Jay Hydrick. Jay, good morning. How are you? I'm doing all right, guys. How are you doing? Uh, doing very well. Jay, I wanted to kind of switch gears here before we get to K-State because you've been a champion of uh, women's sports, and uh, last night was such a big night because Caitlin Clark becomes the NCAA Women's Division One scoring uh, all-time leader, and she did it uh, while scoring 49 points. And the uh, the shot that put her over the top was from the logo, because uh, of course it was. And yep. to see that the, the electricity in that crowd, and you hear how much tickets are going for, and that's the same thing wherever she goes on the road or if it's at home. And to see how many people are engaged in what she's doing, uh, and how electric the atmosphere is. That's, I mean, it's sensational. It's something else. And for the, those of us that have daughters or have been involved in you know, girls' basketball, women's basketball, we're seeing something that's absolutely special, aren't we? 100%, Stephen. Um, you know, unless you're a girl dad, you can't fully appreciate the, how impactful uh, a role model like Caitlin Clark or even like Taylor Swift or things like that in the sports world can be. It, having having a role model that little girls can watch TV and say, you know what, I can do that too, uh, and that that statement of confidence and the statement of the the, the person that she is both on and off the floor, um, and just having someone that girls can look up to and say, um, this is something that I want to do and I believe that I can do that too. That is just 
absolutely immeasurable, but the benefit that that can provide. And then on top of that, it's really good basketball. It's really good sports, and she's electrifying. And, yes, she shoots a lot, but she also has a ton of assists, and she plays hard. And, you know, what I love about her, not only the fact that she makes that shot, but she has the confidence to say, I'm going to take this shot because I believe I'm going to make it. That, if you're a girl dad, that is really what it all comes down to is just whether the shot goes in or not, you want your daughter to be able to have confidence to take it. And that could be metaphorically in life. It could be on the basketball court, whatever. That, that's what I love about her and what, what, what she provides as a role model. All right, let's move on to uh, K-State basketball. Uh, we were talking about this with Stan earlier. Uh, wh- what do you think of, of the scheduling that, that gives them a week off uh, right here uh, during the heat of conference season? I think it's great for K-State. Um, anytime you can get extended time off at this time of the year, it's great, particularly for a team like K-State that struggles with depth um, and trying to find the right lineup. You know, Coach Tang has used a bunch of different lineups through the through the year this year. Um, and I still think in this league, if you get to nine wins, you're in. I think if you're eight, you're um, on the bubble, depending on what those eight look like and, and what those uh, what, what your other numbers look like. K State sit at five and six in conference, but they're two games out of second place, um, and with two really winnable games coming up this week. So I think coming off that that rest and um, hopefully being able to to fix some things. You know, K State's biggest problems are self inflicted. Uh, we talk about turnovers a lot with K State. It, it, forget turnovers as a as as a whole. If we could just get K State to cut down on the unforced errors, on the unforced turnovers, where we just dribble it off our foot or just throw it to the other team uh, without any pressure. If if K State could reduce those, they'd be sitting atop the conference right now. Now this uh, this matchup for TCU is always a problem for me because both teams wear the same color scheme. So it's like trying to remember which team is which when you're watching it. But it should be a really good game. What what stands out to you the most about this year's TCU team? It's your typical Jamie Dixon team. You know they're gonna um, they're gonna be physical. Um, they're gonna be athletic. Um, I feel like we could say that about pretty much every team in the Big Twelve. But they're gonna be tough. Um, you know they. Uh, uh, have a lo- they have a losing record on the road this year in conference, as most teams do. Um, and uh, in K State is, is good at home. K State's four and one at home this year. So I think that um, going in, K State's going to have to take care of the ball because TCU is going to pressure them. They're going to get up on your grill. They're going to be physical with you, and they're going to need their young guards, particularly Dade Ains, to step up and handle the ball to take some of that pressure off Tyler Perry. But if, if K State can just, like I said, if we can reduce the amount of unforced turnovers, then the case they will win this game, I believe, and have a good shot at Texas and have a good shot against whoever they play. They've shown they can play and beat anybody in this league. Um, and so it's just a matter of K-State fixing its self-inflicted wounds. So, you know, TCU, you mentioned at Texas, uh, home against BYU, home against West Virginia, at Cincy, at Kansas, home against Iowa State. I know a lot of it has to do with, with who the wins are against, but do, do you have a good feeling as far as a number that they need to get to to feel comfortable about getting into the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I think if you get to nine, if you're, if you're 500 in the Big 12 this year, 
uh, you should be a lock. And K-State's net number is not great, but they have a lot of opportunity for quad one games coming up. West Virginia is a huge game for K-State just because that's a game you can't lose because of how it affects um, your your net based on um, West Virginia being ranked so low. So uh, it, it, I think if you get to nine, you get there. So K-State needs four more um, four more wins. And you got TCU at home this week. And then you go Monday to Texas, and oddly enough, Texas is 2-4 and four in the conference at home. They have a losing record at home in the conference, uh, and they have a winning record on the road. So they don't play well at home for whatever reason, and K-State's always played well with Texas. So I think K- K- this is a great opportunity for K-State to get a couple wins um, this weekend and on Monday and, and kind of reset the season, kind of coming off that break like we talked about. But on the flip side is opportunities are running out too, and so K-State's got to make make a run here. They got to win some of these games that they can win, and, and show the committee and show everybody else that they're at NCAA tournament. If they get the nine, I think they'll be in. And then that'll set up what looks like a wide open Big Twelve tournament that should just be oh my goodness crazy for basketball fans, right? Yeah, I mean, you look at look at West Virginia and Oklahoma State, right? Um, the b- bottom two teams in the league. Those teams can beat anybody. I mean, it, it is going to be you know a bloodletting of a Big Twelve tournament. They're going to they're going to um, uh, uh, be able to, to get through that. And I apologize, probably shouldn't use that term given the circumstance of the week, but um, it, it's going to be a very very difficult uh, Big Twelve tournament. All right, my man. Thank you for the time, Jay. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, thank you. That's Jay Hydrick talking. Uh, K-State basketball, and again, that's an 11 a.m. tip-off. Well, you know what? Get the game going early, and then you got the rest of your Saturday to to do what? Shop? Yeah? Shop. Want to eat? Yeah, maybe do some get, get some honeydew list done on your chore list. All right. I got a question real quick. Yeah. Why is it snowing? It's February. It was 64. This is uh, weather in the Midwest, buddy. If you don't like the weather here, just wait a Did minute. Did you know that that was going to snow? Well, I saw or? I saw a Twitter picture of a snow-covered Manhattan, Kansas, earlier this morning, and I thought, I wonder if that's headed our way. So I looked at the app that Gary always tells me not to use, and it said like ninety-five percent chance of snow this morning for us. So that was when I found out it was like an hour ago. Hmm. Here it is. It says the snow should only last for another hour or so. Oh, good. Only? How about how about stop it now? Stop it. Well. You love it, don't you? No. Go out there then. No, I don't love it. I But I I don't mind a little bit of winter before like it real it, spring I like starts. it when it's 64. That was nice. That's me. Yeah, it was nice. But you can't get used to that. It's February. This is a little thing we call Phil while Jake is on the phone trying to find our next guest. Jake, it's snowing. I don't know if you realize it. Yeah, it was cold in the tub this morning. It was cold in that ice tub. Yeah. It was cold in the ice tub. That's that's odd. That's well, I mean, surprising. I say. sometimes it's, it's like it's cold in the ice tub, but it's warm. The air temperature is warm. Do you like the fact that it's snowing? Yeah, actually, because I don't have to pay for ice when it's this temperature. Oh, okay. So then that, that I do like plays it. right in your hands, doesn't it? It does. All right. Do we have our next guest? We do. Okay. Greg Gurley's ready to go. Let's say hello to Greg Gurley now. Hello, Greg. How are you? Gentlemen, how are you? I got an idea. How about a podcast called Ice Tub with Jake? Sure. Have your guests get into the Ice Tub with Jake. You're saying you're the first one then, huh? Yeah. 
Did you guys already say that? You are. You're, no, you're saying you're the it. First you're the first guest. You're going to get in the tub oh, with me. 100%. Very similar to the wonderful skit from Saturday Night Live. James Brown. James Brown's Celebrity Hot Tub. You're going to get in the ice tub. going to make me sweat. Come on, come on. He's going to go, Greg. I, I want to be the executive producer for the Jake Gutierrez uh, uh, Celebrity Hot Tub. Greg, Nate is over here writhing in his seat, giggling, so we know he has something smart-ass to yeah. say. Come on, So Nate. let's go ahead. And, no, 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 no. Go ahead. Yeah. Come on, yeah. we all need a big laugh. Go ahead. You know. <laughs> come on. Put put Gurley in that uh, ice tub with Jake and really test that water displacement theory. You know what I mean? Wow. That's what you were so excited about? He just couldn't wait to say that. He was, he's was he been giggling to himself, laughing. <laughs> right, and you ought to see him right now. He did, but he's just real so proud of himself. <laughs> we, Slumped we in his chair. The, we'll have to get Jake one of those kid life jackets that's strapped <laughs> under the, under the uh, uh, man parts. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> under the man parts? <laughs> I love you, man. I miss you. I feel like we haven't seen you in a long time, you know? I, I know. I've been all over the place, and uh, I, I haven't even been in the studio yet. It's killing me. Well, why don't we get you in the studio I, next week? Uh, shoot, you know what? That actually works. Shoot, shoot, shoot me your schedule, and we'll we'll figure out a time for you to get, come in the studio, because I need some laughs, Greg Early, and you're probably Perfect. The, I'm in. one of the I'm funniest in. human all, beings I've ever met. We, we all need some laughs this week, for sure. Well, and, and for more reason than one, Greg, why don't you tell people where you are right now? Well, I'm in Nashville seeing one of my former teammates. Uh, Scott Pollard is in, on the uh, heart transplant list. He's at the best hospital, the number one hospital for heart transplants here in Vanderbilt, and spent a bunch of time with him yesterday, and he's in great spirits, uh, and he's waiting for a heart and you know you, you can't even imagine how stressful that would be knowing you know what can happen on both sides the positive and negative but uh gosh spent four or five hours with him yesterday and and uh he's again super positive and, and ready to go and, and uh uh you know just hoping and praying that that call comes and they're able to uh you know we were sitting there last night and they brought him dinner and he's always hesitant to eat because you're because once they find a heart, the whole process starts, and he's not supposed to eat for X amount of hours. He goes, "Watch this! I'm gonna I'm gonna start eating, and, and they're gonna I'm gonna get the call." And uh, you know, fortunately, it didn't happen at that time. But uh, he's he's very hopeful, and his family's here with them. And uh, you know, it's just it's just tough. He's been battling it for a while, and then they finally made the decision that hey, the other stuff isn't working. We need to. We need to go to the next step, and that next step is a transplant. Well, that's really, really scary stuff. And so, uh, please send along our our prayers to Scott um, because that's yeah, that's it's terrible. And I'm glad that you could be there with him. So then, what you fly to Oklahoma uh, for the game? Um, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit. It's kind of a tough situation for KU right now, battling some injuries and battling just just struggling away from home this year. Yeah, yeah, you add those up, and, uh, you know, it's one win on the road, well, technically two, uh, with Indiana victory, where, uh, but, but other than that, we've struggled so much on the road, and it's been weird because, you know, I go back to that Houston game at home where we played damn near perfect basketball, looked like the best team in the country, and then 48 hours later go to Manhattan and, and just look 
completely different in a game that both teams didn't play very well. We just were on the short end where we couldn't make plays down the stretch in case they did. And, and then the same thing happened uh, last week. And we didn't play as well against Baylor, but still got a win against a 13th-ranked team. And you should never gloss over the fact that you beat a top-20 team at home. But we kind of left that Saturday with, like, a bad taste in our mouth. And I'm trying to, you know, get everyone to be like, hey, we beat a 13th-ranked team at home. But, of course, everybody told me to shut up. And uh, then we we go to Lubbock, and I think that was just, you know, one of those perfect storms. You know, Kevin's out, Jamari's out. We have two scholarship players on the bench. They were unbelievably hot from a three-point line like we've seen throughout the year. Other teams, you know, we always say we're just unlucky or whatever, but at some point everybody's doing it. So, uh, we, we, you know, we probably need to – figure out uh, getting guys to run off the three-point line, but that's easier said than done. You try to get somebody to run off the three-point line, that puts your, your guys in trouble with fouls. And when you only have seven guys, you run them off that line, you put a hand on them, and right away if somebody gets a couple fouls, you just don't have bodies. And, and uh, you know, I think it's also a product of our starters playing 37 minutes a game in November and December. And when we get, you know, been doing this a long time. You get into February, the, the dog days of the Big 12, the gauntlet, whatever you want to call it, it's tough. It, it, the schedule makers don't care about how many minutes you're playing. And uh, I think it just just piled up on us. And, you know, a 29-point loss is the same as a one-point loss. Still lost on the road, but that one's done. Um, now we've got a, a real, you know, I don't want to call it a must-win. I think the Big 12 title is probably out of our reach a lot would have to happen but it's a must win mentally for us um the schedule you know gets a little easier for a moment because we don't play again until the following saturday so we do get some time to rest but then the schedule gets really tough at baylor at houston you know both those games are going to be monsters and then you know you get a byu team at home next tuesday that that can beat anybody in this league and then before that, play Texas. So the, the last third of our schedule is our toughest and at the worst time. So uh, as much as I try to be positive, I don't know if that rant really gave KU fans a lot of hope. But one thing that, that, that does work in your favor, as you mentioned, uh, after this game against Oklahoma, you get a full week off, and it sounds like that's uh, something that's in desperate need, just to rest the legs and, and try to uh, to get everyone healthy. And so that could be an advantage, and that's why this makes this game even bigger, because you'd love to have that week off after a road win at Oklahoma. Uh, you know, Kansas beat Oklahoma the first time around early in the conference season by 12. And so based on what you saw in that first game, uh, what, what, what are going to be some of the more important uh, matchups and keys to trying to get the sweep over Oklahoma tomorrow? Well, Oklahoma is really athletic. Uh, they're not a, a great shooting team, but they can put it on the ground, get to mid-range, get to the rim. They can rebound the ball. They don't really, you know, they, don't, they have bigs, but they don't really play through their bigs. So it's kind of a guard on guard. And they got some really good athletic guys uh, that are hard to guard. Uh, if you remember the game at our place, it was a one-point game at half. We went on to win by 12, uh, final score. But that was a close game, and, and every game's going to be close. You know, the only the only uh, easy ones, so to speak, that we've had have been both of our wins against Oklahoma State, and 
So I tell you, it's uh, we haven't proved that we went on the road. Uh, Oklahoma's been reeling a bit of late, and uh, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be licking their chops, looking at Kansas coming in somewhat injured, no confidence on the road, and, and so this is the type of game that we've got to really dig down because, like you said, the seven days off or six days off before we play Texas are going to be crucial, and you, you know you don't want to go into that with two straight losses on the road. So a huge uh, season kind of turning game on Saturday, in my opinion, just for the confidence. Now, you know, like I said, I think the Big 12 title is probably out of reach. You look at Houston's schedule and others, it's going to be tough for us to get back into this mix, and we've kind of done that to ourselves. So we've got to, we've got to look at it and say, all right, we've got to get healthy. We got to get some confidence back. We got to get our swag back, and then understand that we can still make a run in March. All right, Greg. We will uh, we will see you in studio next week. And like uh, like Nate said, uh, please offer our uh, our prayers and uh, well wishes to Scott Pollard and his family. And hopefully, everything turns out uh, for the best. For sure. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. That's uh, Greg Gurley, who uh, joins us every week as part of the Border Patrol Fast Break. Uh, We'll take a break. And how about this, football fans? A nice treat for you. Normally, we talk to Adam Kaplan on Thursdays, our NFL insider. He's going to join us on uh, Friday, which is uh, Nate uh, and Jake tell me that's today. Yeah. Hey, all right, then. It's snowing. Are you ready for some football? We can't control the weather. But we can't control uh, having Adam Kaplan on to talk about the Super Bowl. And that should be a fun conversation after this on WHP. Welcome back to the Border Patrol on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Always wonderful when Todd Lebo, our job shadow Jack, senior at St. Pius, one of the first people he mentioned, he says, is Lebo going to be here? I said, sure. You can talk to him. And within like 30 seconds, Lebo gives him advice. Whatever you do, don't go into this business. Hey, Todd, thanks for trying to dampen the, the, the fire of a prospective broadcaster. So there you go. But right now, and, and again, hey, thank you so much for joining us. I know yesterday was a very difficult show. Uh, we're still trying to get through it as a community today. Um, and and we've, we're back to talking a little bit more sports today, and part of that is going to be uh, Adam Kaplan right now uh, to talk about the Super Bowl with us. So, Adam, thanks for coming on. We uh, we we can, we always like talking to you, but yeah. really really helps us out just to talk some football sure. to give us a welcome, uh, just a, a momentary distraction from what's going on here in Kansas City over the past couple of days. Yeah, I'm sorry for what you guys have gone through. It's uh, it's awful. You know, it should have been a joyous occasion, and it's been marred by tragedy. So our hearts are. In, well, to everyone there. Um, yeah, so, look, I, I saw you guys. In fact, I saw your station at uh, Radio Row last week in Las Vegas. I think, was, was was that Todd who I met? Who did I meet? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Cool. He's a star. Yeah, it was cool. So, and uh, Serena I've met before. So, it's good to see you, uh, everybody there from A10 at Radio Row. That was, it was a good week. And I want to ask you guys a question. I've been thinking about this. So, 2013, Andy Reid gets fired by the Eagles, right? Do you know what you guys remember when he when he was brought in? Do, what were you? Do you, could you go back now? Eleven years, by the way. Could you guys go back to your thoughts of what you thought of that, that hire back then? Well, I remember I was super excited, and I remember I was at, I was at the press conference, 
Adam, you have to you have to understand yeah. and remember where the Chiefs bad. were. Yeah, I know it was bad. It, it was incompetence. They were the laughing stock of the league. And honestly, I, I'll tell you exactly what I thought. And so I, I remember being at the press conference and then getting a chance to, to speak with him a little bit privately because there's a room where he came and met with each individual outlet. So he came in and met with 810 for a while. And, and we talked with him. And this probably doesn't sound very smart now, but <laughs> I, I, what I said on the air was, he could come in here and stabilize this franchise and be a an offensive version of Marty Schottenheimer. And I meant that as a compliment. Oh, boy. You know, but, but I meant as a compliment in the regard of when Marty was here, they always won. Mm-hmm. They always got into the playoffs. They never quite got to the big dance. But you you always knew they were going to compete for a division title and they were going to be good and they were going to be respected. But he was a defensive mind. I just thought Andy was going to come in here and it just reminded me because, you know, the, the team was in turmoil when they hired Carl Peterson and brought in Marty Schottenheimer and it turned the franchise around to respectability. And this franchise needed respectability after what had happened on and off the field with you know Scott Pioli and Todd Haley and Romeo Cornell and the awful tragedy with Javon Belcher. This franchise was in a bad place, and you had an opportunity to get a perennial winner who at that point had the reputation he couldn't manage the clock and couldn't win the big game, but whatever, what he could do is get you to the playoffs every year. And that's why I, I, I made that comparison. I said, once again, when this, when this franchise has hit rock bottom, they're bringing someone in that is going to make Make them and turn them into a respected franchise that will compete every year, and that's what they were with Alex Smith, and and you know I mean, that might have been their ceiling with Alex Smith, and and I never would have anticipated what we're seeing now because I didn't know that Patrick Mahomes was going to be here. Okay. Yep, you know, so I mean I, that's so that's what I thought. Nate, you, you have any? Yeah, no, that's I summed it all up, Adam. Let me throw one more at you. So they, they, they make the trade-up for Patrick Mahomes. By the way, Seattle's going to draft him if uh, the Chiefs didn't. Oh, but, hey, Seattle wound up trading out after that happened. Do you remember, like, okay, why are they drafting Mahomes when they have Alex Smith? What, do you remember what your thoughts were in that, when that happened? Oh, yeah. I'll, t- I'll take this one uh, for you, Adam. So good. the Chiefs hadn't drafted a quarterback in the first round since Todd Blackledge. Oh, boy. And they had made a history of trading for whoever the 49ers didn't want to be their quarterback anymore. From Joe Montana to Elvis Gerback, all the way to Alex Smith. And those guys were always good enough to get the Chiefs to the playoffs. Don't forget uh, Bono and DeBerg. Yes, Steve, I just, yeah, I, I skipped over a couple there. Five of them. <laughs> right. So, mm-hmm. But they were always good enough to get to the playoffs, good teams, but then you'd lose to a Hall of Fame quarterback in the playoffs. Sure, sure. And so all we wanted was for this team to have their own franchise quarterback. And th- before that draft... I said on this show they're going to draft quarterback in the first round this year. Steven said he was host he was hosting the watch party. No, you didn't. You said I was crazy, Jake. You did. That was Adam. Oh, oh that was Adam. Oh, I thought Jake said that. Yeah, yeah no, no. What happened? No, no, no. Yeah. Here's what happened with me. So, my, my friend Joe Banner, the former Eagles president, he and I were talking about an email. And he's very close to Andy. And I said, hey, you know, I'm hearing they're going to trade it for a quarterback. I didn't know it'd be Mahomes. I said they're going to. They're looking for a quarterback, and they're going to get their franchise guy. And we didn't know it was Mahomes. Neither of us did. 
And I remember him saying, like, are you sure about that? I said, I'm telling you, that's the, the vibe that I'm getting. Like, they want that guy now. Yeah, and, and, and the idea... didn't know there would be Mahomes, to be honest with you. Nobody knew. Well, no, no, and, and one of the reasons I, I thought it, we'd heard some, I'd heard some things, but also... Under Dorsey, they had made a habit of drafting a guy the year before they needed him. You know, they would draft a left Which tackle. Okay. Yeah, they they had okay. the, let him let him study. Like they drafted a left right. tackle where Brandon Albert still had a year left and things like that. So I thought, well, they got a year left with Alex Smith. And so anyway, Stevens was hosting the watch party for the draft, the official Chiefs watch party, and he said, if they draft a quarterback, I will jump off the stage. And of course, they <laughs> traded up. Did you? They, <laughs> he did, and the Chiefs fans caught him. Out of joy because he threw his hands. I was not. I was not an Alex Smith fan. Uh, I, I, I was, I was certain that Alex Smith was there was a there was a ceiling with Alex Smith, sure. and that was good football in the regular season and disappointment and heartbreak in the playoffs. And I got a lot of pushback from a lot of people around here. And I wanted Patrick Mahomes to start from day one. And I had had it. I had had it. I had had it with the in, in the Pittsburgh Steel the loss to the Steelers in the divisional round at Arrowhead. I'd had it, and then I had really had it, and I'll I'll never forget this. Sitting next to my sons in that loss to the Titans, the Marcus Mariota game out at Arrowhead, and that was Alex Smith's last game. And I looked at my boys and I said. This will never happen again once Patrick Mahomes takes over. This we will never have to sit because we we would go to the playoffs game playoffs every year. But how would you know that though? How, how would you know? Especially was uh, you know watching him in training camp, listening to yeah. what coaches would say, yeah. uh, you know, talking to people that I've, I've formed relationships with over the years when they would tell me what he would do at practice, and and I just felt like it, it was it didn't take a whole lot. They just needed a quarterback. A franchise quarterback to break through because they had everything else. And if you remember, we had heard those stories all year long about the things he was doing in practice. Right. Yeah, and so then and then yeah. he played that game against the Broncos when at the end of the regular season. And the Chargers, the Broncos. Okay, that one Broncos, was the Broncos yeah. because Akib yeah. Talib went on his show in Denver. Okay. Um, after and they said, "What did you think of Patrick Mahomes?" And he said, "I think that Alex Smith's going to be a free agent next year because that oh, dude, did he say that? Yeah, he said oh, that dude is wow. on a different level, and that kind of like put everybody into a frenzy here. And then the rest Incredible. is history. So, well, yeah. so now let me ask you the question: As sure. Gunther once said here, yep. he, what what were you thinking when you were watching that game? And it, it goes to overtime, and and Shanahan and the Forty ers elect to take the football." It seemed like after watching the NFL films mic'd up that every, every the players of the 49ers bench, they, they knew the ending of the story. They knew how it was going to end. Don't let Mahomes get the ball. Right. No, I, I said it. Um, you know, I remember, if you recall, I picked the Chiefs to win 24-20. I didn't think it would be a high-scoring game. That turned out to be correct. Now, the first half, I, I was stunned. And how about Steve Wilkes being fired, uh, their, their mm. defense coordinator? They only gave up three points, but this is the problem. The Niners kept moving the football. Kyle Shanahan, and this is where Andy Reid separates himself from Shanahan. This is where I don't think it's close. I was really surprised at how well the Niners threw the ball against the Chiefs secondary. If you, I mean, Purdy looked great in the first half. I'm thinking, why do you feel like you need to run the ball? Keep throwing it. Mm-hmm. Keep throwing it. He doesn't do that. Andy is not like that. Yes, we know he wants to throw the ball more than run it, but if something is working, keep going, doing it. And they were really ha- – and the other thing is their protection for Purdy was so good in the first half, I'm thinking, man, I'd just throw it every down, and they, he wasn't he, – he, he believes in balance. 
there's an offensive coordinator that I know pretty well uh, who still uh, who actually retired in the last I don't know four or five years who said I don't believe in balance I believe in throwing the football because that's the way you win in today's NFL and Kyle Shanahan has got to understand they have way more talent in certain areas than the Chiefs do and they underachieve but hey coaching matters Spags got it done the second half once again his fourth title and he's third the only question now for Patrick Mahomes will be how many titles he gets, and he probably will go down as the best quarterback in NFL history. That's saying a lot because you guys had Joe Montana. But one more thing for you on Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's changed scouting. So many teams got it wrong, and I know personnel guys have, have gone back, and they're, 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 they're no longer looking at a scheme. They're looking at the talent, and that's where teams missed on Patrick Mahomes. So they signed Spags to an extension, which yeah, is which is great. Yeah. yeah, you could talk about yeah. that, but also sure. what? Um, and I know there's other free agents, but yeah. Chris Jones. What do you think of the chances that he is in a Chiefs uniform next year? Well, in Snead, obviously, and the debate is because you know it's going to be tough. Now, there's a way you could structure it to get goes both guys back. You, you backload it. You make the cap numbers very small the first year. That's what the Eagles do, by the way. And don't forget Chris Shea, who's a hot, one of their top executives. Uh, remember, with uh, with Tillis, uh, Brand Tillis moving on now to the to the Panthers, Chris Shea is going to be overlooking contracts, for the for at least for a temporary uh, situation here, and then they'll have to add somebody to help. They know that the only way they're going to make this work is if they have to they have to make the cap numbers low this coming season, and that that's going to be the challenge here in, uh, in terms of how they do that. And Chris, you know, Chris Jones, it's good to hear that he really wants to be back because you never know. And by the way, he's become a very vocal leader for them. Yes, he's very important to what they do. We, let's not forget about that. Well, maybe earlier in his career he wasn't, but don't underestimate the the the, the just bring back Legarius Sneed. And how much man coverage they could play because he is their man coverage guy, and that's certainly very important. So it's it's not going to be easy. We've got a lot of time here. Now Snead's going to want to get paid, and you're looking at twenty million plus per season. That's that's where the the, the quarterback numbers are going. Chris Jones, look, they weren't able to get the kind of deal he wasn't able to get the kind of deal that he wanted. I'll be interested to see how that that works out here. And, and then Spags, by the way, in his contract. And coaching contracts, and the reason why they got this done now, it's typically five days after the completion of the team season, in this case the Super Bowl, where the contract expires. So they made sure that they got this done. And uh, that, that's why, by the way, as I understand it, it got done this early. And this is big. I mean, getting Spags back, guys, is big here. And, uh, look, for all the Spags people, the Spags detractors over the years when I've been on your show, you guys were all wrong. And Spags is, I don't know that he gets in the Hall of Fame, as we discussed. It's a tough one. But you're talking about in the last 25 years, one of the top three defensive coordinators in the National Football League. You've been telling us that since day one and telling us that his defenses will get better as the season goes on. And we've yeah. seen it. We've seen it as the game goes on. Yeah, right? Incredible, man. Exactly. Good call. Exactly. <laughs> and that brings up, the, you, you talk about the point with Snead, and we all understand how great he has been in this town. The performance of McDuffie in the, in the Super oh. Bowl. Best slot corner. Yep. The, the other, you know, they, they just seem to keep finding corners that, that play in Spag's system. Does that make them feel confident at all that they don't need to spend the money on Snead because they can just keep finding guys? Well, here's the thing. You're not going to move McDuffie outside to replace Snead. That's not going to happen. They, that, they don't have that guy in the roster, no matter what they may tell you. I mean, I know they like Josh Williams, number two. 
they don't have that guy on the roster. Jalen Watson's an okay uh, on the other side, but they, they don't have that guy. Whereas, look, you, you lose Brian Cook, you put Mike Edwards in. Nice signing, by the way, very underrated signing. Edwards is up. You know, you guys know about Connor, uh, who also showed that he could play in this league. But you don't have that outside corner. That's just It's hard to find those guys. Sure, they could look at the draft, but when you pick your 32nd, and let's not forget they need a left tackle as, as we look at their needs here. Left tackle is a major need. There's no question about it. they got to fill that role. We've talked all season that they they got to fill that role opposite Rashi Rice. And, by the way, what they need to do with Sky Moore is leave him inside. Don't play him on the outside. He's a slot receiver. And Andy and um, and and uh, his staff and Matt Nagy, they, they have to get that right. Move Sky Moore. Let him be the, the, the slot. And they have to draft someone to play on the opposite of Rice or sign a veteran. So they've got a lot of work to do here. Nadi's up, as we know. Uh, Mike Dana's up. Willie Gay's up. Uh, Tranquil's up. They've got a lot of work to do, uh, certainly going forward. But you know what? Believe in Andy Reid and Brett Veach. Veach, from, Veach runs personal. He more or less makes the calls. And there's only so much they can do. But what we learned is even if it was not a vintage Chiefs team, when you've got the quarterback and the head coach working together, they can make special magic here. Do you think they'll bring Bianami back on the staff? Eric, you know, by the way, Eric was – Seattle looked at him, and they wound up not hiring him, and they, it, it didn't work out for him there. I, it would not surprise me, but it, it's it's a way of, like, they have to see if they lose any coaches now. Now, most – there are eight coach, head coaching changers. Most have been – most assistant jobs have been filled. But if he would come back anyway, he he would have to be a position coach. Eric's not going to be a coordinator going forward uh, this year, no matter what happens with him. I wouldn't completely roll it out. Uh, but uh, we have to see if the Chiefs lose any coaches here going forward, by the way. All right, uh, Adam, thank you so much for the time. We love talking football with you. I'm sure we'll talk to you again very soon because there is no offseason in the NFL. But no, there's not. as always, thank you so much for uh, for talking us through another Super Bowl championship. Let's go for a three-peat. It would be incredible, folks. They've now done it for the first time in 20 years as uh, back-to-back and when you've got the head coach and the quarterback, folks, anything could happen. This is I, I just can't imagine, and we, we've talked about this before in the show, what it's like to be a Chiefs fan now and seeing the special magic that they have. Who knew in 2013, but uh, Andy's pretty remarkable. Adam, thanks for the time, man. We'll talk okay. to you soon. Be well. Thank you. Mm. Isn't it, I mean, I just sit here and, and talk to guests about whether the Chiefs can three-peat. Three. I mean, you know, it's not going to get old. It doesn't. Yeah, and it doesn't seem got a lot more of those questions coming. Outlandish at all. That's right. (laughs) We'll be right back after this on WHB.